You know what it is. That's right. It's time to talk money with your money nerd and financial coach. Now, tighten those purse strings and open those ears. It's the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. Hey, everyone. I am so excited because I have Kimberly Davis on the line. Now, Kimberly is awesome. We just had a conversation right before we got on, and she is very open, honest, and I love her point of view on things. And so today we wanted to talk about cohabitation agreements, which is something we've never talked about on the podcast. So, hey, how are you, Kimberly? I am very well. Thank you so much for having me on your show today. I'm excited to talk about all things cohabitation agreement and, you know, premarital planning slash living, commingling, all that great stuff. But I really appreciate you um, introducing me to your audience. uh, And I'm super excited to give you as much information as I can about this topic. Thank you. Thank you. And we are here for it. So let's just start off with just setting a base for our audience. What is a cohabitation agreement if people have never heard of that term before? So first of all, um, just to kind of lay the table a little bit, you know, I talk a lot about relationships and money because money is part of all aspects of our life if we like, whether we like it or not, right? You just cannot get through life without money. So when you have a relationship with somebody, whether it's a cohabiting, you're living together um, as partners or you get married, by definition, you are combining your resources um, and how you combine your resources is really important. So, you know, it people may fall in love and, and say, or, you know, I'm going to move in, we're going to move in together. And, you know, they don't really give a lot of thought to it. But especially when you're moving in with somebody and not getting married and not having the protection of the legal rights that married couples have, and you start to live with somebody and it, you might live with them for a long time, it's probable that you are going to commingle or mix your money and your assets together. And if you haven't really discussed that and you haven't really delineated how things are going to be owned and how things are going to be disposed of and so on and so forth, it can cause a lot of acrimony down the line if and when something happens. So unmarried couples aren't afforded the same legal protections that married couples are when it comes to their property rights. And there are only a small number of states that, you know, um, kind of acknowledge common law marriages if you live with somebody for a long time. So in order to make sure that you're protected, um, you should have a cohabitation agreement, which is kind of a similar thing to a prenuptial agreement. And in fact, a cohabitation agreement can morph into a prenup if you decide to get married. But you really want to set forth and have a discussion about how you are going to, um, you know, say you have furniture that you own together, or you decide you want to buy a house together, or somehow you have a cars that you own together, or you're thinking, you know, you live in a house and you decide it's all going to come to an end and one person it refuses to move out. Mm-hmm. If you have a cohabitation agreement, you can kind of address all these things before that happens so that you know that if and when you're going to split up, you know, each of you are going to get certain assets. 
if you own a house together, how that's going to go down about splitting up the asset, who's going to leave. Also, there are things that you should put in that agreement. Um, if you're saying uh, you have children and maybe you're a little bit older, you don't want there to be any presumption that the person that you're living with is going to inherit certain assets that you have because you've been living with that person. Mm. So even though it sounds like it's a pretty unromantic thing to talk Mm. about, it actually could be the best thing that you could do for your future self and your future financial self if something actually goes awry with, you know, the living arrangement. So let me give you an example of certain things that you should kind of put into this agreement. I talk a lot about money personalities and money conversations and how we all have our own money languages. And I don't know if anyone in the audience has ever heard about the love languages. There was a whole Mm -hmm. bunch of stuff written about that, you know, how you show your loves through certain things that you do, Mm -hmm. right? So the same goes for your money, right? We all have different ways of looking at money. 82% of couples split up often because of money, but it's not because of lack of money. It's because of disagreements about how they spend money. Mm -hmm. So people have different value systems when it comes to money. So there are these different money personalities, and I won't go through all of them now, but I'll just give you a little highlight. So there's the compulsive spender, the compulsive saver, the worrier, the saver splurger, you know, I'm, I'm that <laughs> the compulsive moneymaker. So we all value money in our lives in some way. And if you don't understand how your partner values money and how you value money, then it's likely that you may not be able to come to some agreement about certain issues involving how you're going to spend money, how you're going to pay for certain things, your opinions about debt. um, And that can really ruin a relationship down the line. And if you haven't talked about it and you've commingled your assets and your debt, it could really be a really bad thing for your financial life because you may be responsible for things that you didn't actually incur. So one of the things you want to talk to somebody about when you're about to move in and not all states um, will enforce a cohabitation agreement. I only know of one that doesn't, which is Illinois, but I'm not sure if there are a few out there, but Illinois feels that cohabitation agreements deters marriage. So Hmm, for some inexplicable weird reason, (laughs) they will not enforce cohabitation agreements. But I have told a client of mine in Chicago, I would still have some sort of contract with the person You don't have to call it a cohabitation agreement, but at least it it is a discussion that you're having and it's memorialized and notarized and it kind of puts forth your intentions. So some of the highlights is that you would have in the agreement, which means you've discussed this before you've moved in. So there's no confusion. How are specific assets owned? So do I own this sofa totally or do we own all the furniture half and half? And if we split up, we're just going to you know, you're going to get the sofa, I'm going to get the chair, we're just going to sell it all and split the, the proceeds. Um, how income and expenses are shared. Mm-hmm. So each of you are going to have money that's coming in. So how is that going to go to the house? Is one person going to take over more of the expenses than the other? And, you know, are you going to have any kind of bank accounts that are joint? And if you do, you need to really understand the consequences of that. Um, if you are going to buy new assets, how are they going to be acquired? Are you going to 
buy them together. And then when you buy them, you know, you can have a schedule on the cohabitation agreement. I know this sounds all very mechanical, but in the end, it will save you a lot of aggro. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if if we buy um, a car together, is it going to be in our joint names? And if we split up, who's going to buy the other person out from the car? We need to know that because otherwise... When you're aggravated with somebody and you're at the end of your tether with them in a relationship, you probably are not going to want to have that discussion. Mm -hmm. You're going to be screaming at each other and someone's going to, you know, just try to take the car and not compensate the other person for the car because people are in a heightened emotional state, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to understand how your bank accounts, your credit cards, insurance policies are going to be managed, right? Because if you're in a house, you might need to have insurance. Who's going to be responsible for that? How's that going to look? Whose names are going to be on it? And then you want to have a plan as to how specific assets are going to be distributed in the event there's a breakup. And this is, you know, you want to get ahead of resolving disputes about property rights before you get into the dispute when you're already mad at each other at the end of the relationship. So if you have it all set forth, then you know, if you split up, how everything is going to be divided and who's going to get what. And if somebody has to buy somebody out of something, what that's going to look like. Also, you know, if you're going to buy a house together you want this to be addressed in an agreement as to how the ownership is going to be listed in the deed. Are you going to be joint tenants? Joint tenants means if you and I buy a house together and I die, you automatically get the house. Mm -hmm. That's what without probate. Or are you going to be tenants in common? So if I were to live with somebody and we bought a house together and we aren't married, I'd probably want to own it as tenants in common, which means... We each own a share of the house, but if I die, I can decide who gets my share of the house, which would probably be my children, mm-hmm. at which point my cohabiting partner and my children would have to decide what to do with the house after my death, whether they sell it and split the proceeds. But I wouldn't want it to necessarily go to my cohabiting partner. And that's really, really important because if you do decide to buy a house with somebody without, you know, without being a joint tenant and also you know, you may not want your half of the house to go to this person if you're not married to them and you have other heirs. You also need to have in the cohabitation agreement, a whole section on debts. So unmarried partners are not responsible for each other's debt unless they have a joint account or they become co-signers or guarantors of the other person's debt. So this is different than with married couples Mm -hmm. who will be responsible for each other's debt if they have commingled debt. But it's very important because, you know, when you start to live together for long periods of time, you are going to get engaged, you know, engaged in all kinds of transactions. And you may end up either taking out debt separately to pay for a joint thing or somehow taking out debt together. So by having a provision in the contract about how debt is going to be handled, you kind of eliminate what's going to happen at the end and who's going to pay it off. Also, you should address support payments Mm. because if people live together for a long time, certain people in the relationship may think that they are allowed support payments. And I I spoke to someone the other day who had been living with someone for a year in LA and she felt she was entitled to some support payments, but, you know, proving palimony or justifying that can be difficult. But I also know um, in Texas, you know, where common law marriage is viewed as tantamount to a legal marriage, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can be on the hook pretty simply, pretty easily for that. So 
if you address it at before you even, you know, at the beginning of the relationship in your agreement, it will say, you know, nobody's getting support payments if we break up. Okay. That's, we've decided we're not going to be responsible for each other. Or if you want someone to have support payments, exactly what that's going to look like and how much that's going to be and for how long it's going to be and what's the trigger for it to go away. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff should be in the agreement because otherwise you could be in for a protracted arguments and litigation about whether or not somebody has to support the other person. And then, um, you should also address surviving partners. Like if one of the people dies, the surviving partner would not have any access or rights to the person who's died property because they're not married unless that's set forth in a will or a trust. Mm -hmm. So if you want your partner to inherit certain things over and above your heirs that are your bloodline, you should really have that memorialized in a will and a trust and in a cohabitation agreement so that that person actually does get your, uh, whatever legacy you want to leave them. And you could also discuss with each other about medical directives. If you live together for a long time, you may or may not want that person to be the person to decide whether or not what it goes on when you're in the hospital, like whether they keep you alive or, Mm -hmm. you know, keep the machine on and so on and so forth. So these are kind of discussions that you should have when you move in with each other. It's all nice and you're probably feeling romantic or whatever reason you decided to do it, but it is a a financial contract in some ways. You are now financially, whether you intentionally mean to or not, now living with a person and somehow the money is going to you know, play a role in this relationship that you have. So if you don't have it sorted out before and it's time to break up, one person may just not move out of the house because they feel like they've been living there. It's half their house. And if you haven't talked about it Mm -hmm. and don't have it resolved, this thing could drag on forever. Yes. Yes. And you gave us so many gems in there. (laughs) I was jotting down questions as you were going, because there's so much that I want to hit on in what you just said. Um, I think the main thing though, is if we have people that are listening and they're like, oh, this sounds like something that I really need. Maybe they've already been living together for a while. Um, How do they get that conversation started with the person that they're living with? So, you know, just to set the scene, we've been living together three, four years, and now I'm listening to this episode. I didn't even know that it was a thing, but I feel like this is something that we need to have in place. How do I get this conversation started without sounding like I want to break up or, you know, that type of thing. (laughs) Well, this is a thing that I talk about a lot, which is why my platform is called The Fiscal Feminist. Um, You know, I think we as women in particular, we haven't been trained or taught to talk about money with our partners. And because, you know, we've always been taught that we're to be the nurturers and we should be kind and, you know, all that stuff. Uh, you know, we're reluctant to talk about money because we think it makes us look cold or harsh or (laughs) somehow we're not romantic or we don't love our partner very much. And that's just not true. Um, You know, everybody's a stakeholder in a relationship, right? And the thing is, is if we don't talk to our partners about this, then over time it can either crater the relationship or become a source of resentment. And also if you can't talk to your partner about money and property ownership and finances, which is the thing that when two people are together in a partnership, presumably are each trying to build up your net worth, you want to do it separately. And ultimately you might want to do it jointly, 
But if you can't have a conversation with somebody about money and property, then what kind of relationship do you have? Right. I mean, this is a part of life. It's an important part of life and it will affect what your assets look like when you're older and in retirement, which is what we all think about and worry about down the line if we're lucky enough to live that long. So I would say I would approach it in a way where I'm going to say, you know, because I want our relationship to last and I want us to have transparency with respect to money and the way we think and feel about money, I'd just like to start a discussion about, I'd start with like, how do you feel about money? What are your long-term goals with money? How do you feel about debt? How do you feel about how we own things? What are, you know? What's your long-term view of this? And just start it off as an exploratory conversation about the basics about money. And also, you know, I think it's really important, even if you are not commingling your money, but you are going to commingle some things when you cohabit. Mm-hmm. It's just the nature of the game. But you should also be talking together about a joint budget. Like what does your household budget look like? If it's everything is totally separate and you've got it all ring fenced, then you're just kind of living like roommates who might be romantic. But if you are actually kind of living together and starting to put things together in a more long-term couple way, then I would want to start that conversation because you might have joint goals that you should be discussing about where you're going with this relationship in your lives. And that's how I'd start the discussion. I love that. I love that. And that is very actionable. I, When you were saying that, I'm like, well, who wouldn't say, yeah, let's talk about it after you put it how Kimberly said it. So um, I, I highly recommend. Now, since you brought up- And you're doing okay. it. No, and just one other thing, mm-hmm. when you talk about this with your partner, I mean, and I don't, you know, I'm not trying to sound all, you know, kind of airy fairy out in left field, but you know, it just shows that you actually love this person Mm -hmm. and you love your relationship because you want it to survive. Mm -hmm. And we all have to get real about this stuff. You know, money, especially now we've got inflation, we may or may not have a recession on our hands. I don't know. But the fiscal and economic environment is going to be a little bit different going forward. We've come from 10 years of very low interest rates with easy money, Mm -hmm. easy borrowing, um, you know, a bullish stock market. And I'm not saying we're going to hell in a handbag because we are not. But interest rates are probably never going to get back down to zero again, and they shouldn't because that's just not normal. Mm -hmm. But things are going to change a little bit. And so people who are Gen Z and millennials have seen a certain kind of economy that is probably going to morph into something a little bit more, not quite as easygoing and, you know, cheap money and all the stuff that came with 0% interest rates. So, you know, and also, uh, you know, and please stop me from, because I get on my soapbox and just tell me to cut it out. Um, (laughs) Preach. But, you know, the other thing. The other thing is, is that we're all living longer, right? Mm-hmm. Like people are living to a hundred. So this isn't like, uh, oh, outliers now, like, hey, just one guy's living to a hundred. A lot of people are living past 90. Um, my parents are 92 and 94. Their parents, my mother's parents died at 63. Um, so she's, you know, my parents are doing great. My mom has a little bit of dementia, but for the most part, they're in, you know, good shape for their age. And 
you know, if you don't think about your money situation now, when you're Gen Z, when you're millennial and you're living with somebody who can literally turn your life upside down, if you haven't had money conversations with them, which can then affect the rest of your life, you know, could really put a, uh, the brakes on you building your net worth so that you're prepared Mm -hmm. when you're 85, not to just be living on social security. Mm -hmm. So this has a long-term effect in your life. It's not just about today. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, For anybody who's gotten a divorce or split up with somebody after a long time, I know for me, my divorce after 20 some years uh, totally screwed up my financial situation. I mean, I had to recreate myself at 53 years old. I had to go, you know, I had lived abroad. I had to come back, start my life all over again, uh, go through a long and tedious divorce. It cost me a lot of legal fees, ended up, you know, having to recreate a career that I'd stepped out of for a while. And, you know, I'm 64. I'm going to have to work for another 10 years because I have to make up for all the stuff that happened that was really negative in my divorce and left me with like no money and literally living paycheck to paycheck while I tried to educate my kids and keep a roof over our head. So when you start to live with somebody, a lot of stuff happens. And if, especially like if you move in and you've got kids and they've got kids, This is an even more important reason for you to have a cohabitation agreement. So all the expenses related to the kids can be memorialized in this contract and there's no confusion about it, right? So that's how you're going to start fighting if there's confusion. So if you really love the relationship and you want it to flourish and and last a long time, I would say to you, this is a labor of love to have this conversation and then put together an agreement. And you don't necessarily, I mean, there are now some really good things online that allow you to put these agreements together online. So you don't have to necessarily hire a lawyer. You can. Um, It's always best if, you know, two people are represented by legal counsel and get signed, but you don't have to do that. They do. There are a number of online options now. Um, and I don't have it off the top of my head, but there were two I was just looking at. You can just type in cohabitation agreement, you know, online, uh, preparation and they'll, they'll come up, but they will, uh, have each person fill out certain things and then agreement can be put together from that. And it's all done online. So there are economical ways of achieving this. Awesome. Thank you. And I'll make sure to include some of those links in the show notes. So check those out. I had one more question for you because you did bring up roommates. And as I was listening to you um, talk about this, I'm like, this seems like it could apply for roommates as well that may you know, that aren't romantically involved, but are just living together. Um, So is that the case? Is this also for roommates as well? Well, I mean, I think, you know, look, uh, roommates are a separate issue, you know, like, because there are things that can happen with roommates as far as getting rental insurance and all that kind of stuff, because I think only a certain number of people can get the rental insurance as some people might not, if you've got multiple, multiple roommates. Um, I think if you are living with someone and you think you're going to be living with them for a number of years, and this is like, you know, kind of something where you might commingle your money, then it's equally applicable, right? Because you're cohabiting and you're cohabiting in a fashion where you might be commingling things or buying things together. So I think, um, 
If you think that you're going to be doing living with someone in a way where your financial situation, you know, you're going to be buying furniture together or you're mm-hmm. going to be maybe buying assets together or you come into it with assets or that person is relying on you in some way to support them. When you start getting into that kind of stuff, then you you really should have an agreement. But I think it in the, for the most part it's when people are living together in a fashion that is romantic in the sense that, or, you know, they're going to be either co-parenting together or they're, you know, they're a couple and they might decide to go buy a car together or they come into it with like, I have a whole bunch of assets that I'm coming into this with and you do too. And I don't want to make, I want to make sure that mine stay really separate from yours. So I want to have an agreement that says, you know, this, 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 and this is mine and that, 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 and that is yours. And even if we live together for 10 years and, you know, we buy other stuff together, um, these things are always going to be mine and those things are always going to be yours. And the stuff that we buy, we're going to decide how we're going to own that. And we're going to add that as a schedule to the agreement and decide who's going to get it if we part and who's going to buy the other person out. So if you have that kind of relationship with your roommate, then I would say always good to have stuff in in writing in some fashion and to have a discussion, you know, about it. For sure. For sure. Well, thank you so much, Kimberly, for bringing this wonderful topic. I'm over here jotting down notes and (laughs) jotting down questions. This has been an amazing conversation. And I'm so glad that you came on the podcast to discuss this important topic because a lot of people just don't know about these things. And it could save, like you said, a whole lot of headache down the road. Trust me. Um, So Kimberly, with that being said, oh, go ahead. You know, I was trying to find find um these on i anyway i can prov- i'll figure out the online services but they are out there and um i think you know again don't let the preparation of it or the idea that you might have to hire a lawyer deter you from doing this because you can do these things without that and and then they will be enforceable if you follow the rules online just don't let that be that and even if it's just a conversation that, you know, if, if it's the beginning of it, it's just having the conversation. The conversation is the beginning point. Mm-hmm. And I think once you start talking about it and you realize that the amount of hassle that you're going to eliminate, if something were to go wrong, it's the same kind of idea with the prenup, mm-hmm. you know, everyone, and we won't get into that right now, but everyone should have a prenup. It doesn't matter if you're rich. That's an old fashioned concept. Mm-hmm. If you have any student debt, you should have a prenup. of millennials have prenups right now and mainly because of their student debt. Mm. She just dropped the mic on us. (laughs) She's like, and I'm going (laughs) to leave it there. (laughs) So thank you so much, Kimberly. Now, if people were interested in learning more about you or your platform or hearing more from you, where could they find you? Thank you, Tiff, for asking me. Um, So I wrote a book called The Fiscal Feminist, A Financial Wake-Up Call for Women. That is on Amazon or at your independent bookseller. You can always ask the independent bookseller to order it if they don't have it, but it's on Amazon. I also have a podcast that comes out every week called The Fiscal Feminist. It's on all the podcast platforms. We talk about everything from personal finance to investment strategy, retirement planning, uh, divorce strategy, premarital planning, money relationships, the whole gamut. Um, And so that's called The Fiscal Feminist. And I'm also on Instagram and TikTok at The Fiscal Feminist. Or you can go to uh, www.fiscalfeminist.com, which is my 
website. Um, so all of those things are available for you to have a look at. Um, I'm also a wealth manager and uh, managing director and partner at a uh, wealth management firm called The Bonson Group. So you can always check me out on The Bonson Group website too. Yes. And I'll make sure I have all of those links in the show notes. So if you didn't catch all of that and where to find Kimberly, make sure you check the show notes for that information. I'll have it all there as well as the links to the resources that she mentioned on the show. So thank you so much, Kimberly, for coming on the show today. I greatly appreciate you and this topic. And this was just a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for spreading the word. <laughs> for sure. Bye. Thank you for listening, joining, and being a part of the Money Talk with Tiff podcast this week. You can check Tiff out every Thursday for a new Money Talk podcast. But if you just can't wait until next week, you can listen to previous podcast episodes at moneytalkwitht.com or follow Tiff on all social media platforms at Money Talk with T. Until next time, spend wise by spending less than you make. A word to the money wise is always sufficient. <laughs>